you know, I, I've gotten some nice comments from, from uh, some of you about last week's lesson and the impact that it made on your lives. One of the folks here told me that they had a birthday celebration for their father, one of the guys in this class, Saturday, uh, Saturday night at the beach, Saturday afternoon, and they all gathered around him uh, to pray, and that when they got done praying, people noticed and spoke to them, and it opened an opportunity to speak about Jesus. Isn't that great? And yesterday I had the chance uh, to witness my son's church's baptism of four people on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. And it was an amazing thing. You'll see the pictures online if you get a chance. But uh, what an incredible, incredible uh, baptism. And the testimonies were so powerful. Uh, as I see the hands of God moving there. And there's a church just of 125 people. It's only three and a half years old. But God is moving mightily over there. And so we, we ask God to, to do that here, to do the same thing for us here. So... Uh, it, we're so pleased that this is what we can report. So today we're going to focus on, on John chapter 20, uh, verses 1 to 10. And, that, and this is about the empty tomb. The empty tomb. Very profound uh, series of verses. Verse 1, early on the first day of the week, that is Sunday now, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, and that is John, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And the reason for that is that John was probably in his early 20s, and Peter was in his 50s. And so in any race, we would expect the younger guy to win, which he did. As John got there, it says, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Uh, what an incredible, uh, incredible passage. And I want you to reflect really on what this is like. This is the darkest, despairing moment for the followers of Jesus. Everything has collapsed around them. All their hopes and dreams had vaporized. Um, and, and they saw Jesus crucified, and so they had fled in a number of different directions. Uh, and so here we see Sunday morning, and the first thing that you see, and, and you don't get it all from John, you have to read some of the synoptic gospels to understand this, but women played a primary role at the tomb. There was women who came to the tomb first, and we know this uh, as we read some of the other scriptures, uh, and they came to the tomb in order to anoint the body of Jesus. Now, theologians are somewhat puzzled by that uh, because you know that the, the tomb had a large stone covering it, and they wonder why they were going there and who was going to move the stone I suspect they were just so filled with grief that they thought somehow 
a group of men would be able to move the stone and they would anoint the body of Jesus um, and, and uh, get, put it, spices on him uh, and give him a proper Jewish burial. Well, when they get there, uh, he's missing. Uh, and so now Mary Magdalene sees he's missing. Mary Magdalene runs back uh, to the home of John uh, and Peter and John are staying together along with Mary the mother of Jesus, and she tells the story that the body of Jesus is missing uh, and the stone is there. And so now these two guys take off and they're running. And Mary is coming after, but she's nowhere as fast as these two guys. You can just imagine the drama uh, of this uh, particular uh, scene. Incredible. Um, And so when they arrive back at the tomb, John looks in first. He looks, peeks in, and he sees some of the uh, linens. He doesn't go in any further. Peter rushes in and looks in and observes it. And then John sticks his head in and he sees the grave clothes and he believes. I want you to understand that. He looked at the grave clothes and he believed. And this is an important lesson for you to understand what's involved here. Um, And so uh, it's an amazing situation. None of them had imagined that Jesus had been raised from the dead. None of them, all right? Even though Jesus had talked about these things, none of them had imagined that that was possible. They were astonished to see the the, uh, stone moved from the tomb. Um, And and they finally, and when they came back again, some of them saw angels who spoke to them. And you know, in the various tellings of this, in the various synoptics, there's a slight differential in each of the synoptics about this who the angels spoke to, who the women were there. But the message is clear and told over and over and over. Uh, And if you turn to Matthew 28, I'd like you to do that now. Matthew 28, verse 5. And you know that that, uh, uh, when Jesus was buried, the Roman guard stood guard. A seal was put on this tomb. Um, And so obviously the Roman guards had fled in fear. We know that there was a, an earthquake. The stone was moved away. Uh, and so now there's an angel at the tomb. In verse 5, we see the following. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Uh, here it is, the greatest message that the world would ever, he- ever hear. He is risen. He is not dead. He is, he is risen. Uh, and so Mary finds the two disciples, Peter and John, uh, and she tells them, uh, and they come out to the tomb. And so Peter arrives out of breath, out of breath, uh, and in a hurry. He brushes John aside. He plunges into the tomb. As you can imagine, the character of Peter, exactly what he would do, plunges into the tomb, uh, and, he's, and uh, he, he looks into the tomb and com- confirms the fact that Jesus is not there. When John then looked in, looked into the tomb, he, he steps in and he saw the grave clothes. He saw them in an only a cursory manner from the outside part of the tomb. But the Bible tells us that Peter went in, and, in the tomb and saw the actual strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself 
separate from the linen. Now, let me explain to you what I think is taking place here based on what theologians tell us. You have to understand that the linen was uh, uh, over the body of Jesus. And the, the, the headpiece was a separate cloth on the headpiece of Jesus. And what theologians believe here is that what they saw was this, that the body of Jesus at the moment of the resurrection was vaporized, literally uh, transmogrified, turned from a physical body of flesh and turned once and for all into a glorified spiritual body like that. And it was done in a vaporization way so that as the body of Jesus, the very molecules of the body of Jesus came through the cloth, the cloth remained in the position it had been surrounding the body. So that if you looked in, you saw a cloth that appeared to be containing a body. And if you looked in and you saw something over the head, the cloth was in an opaque shape, in the shape of a head. And yet there's no head. There's no body. And instantaneously, when John saw this, he knew he is resurrected. You see this? What an astounding scene. He knew immediately. He saw it before the angel said a word. Nobody said a word to John about it, but he understood at that moment, my Lord and Savior is risen from the dead. I could see it. I can tell. The very grave clothes testify to this. Amen. What an amazing scene that is as we understand this. Uh, and, and so uh, this is astonishing to me. And so uh, Peter will ultimately come to understand this as well. Um, and so after the appearances uh, of the Lord, he begins to appear to the disciples. Um, and, and as we study this, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, who we will speak about next week who arrived back at the tomb after John and Peter returned to the city. Mary Magdalene will be the first woman that he appears to. And now, and this is an amazing story, and you know, understand that Mary Magdalene was delivered of seven demons. Seven demons. Uh, and, you know, we have long said culturally that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. There's no evidence in the Bible, really, that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. That just became kind of a uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it wasn't true, really. Um, and, and, but she had, she had seven demons. But she was so caught up with Jesus that when she had these demons delivered from her, the Bible tells us that she supported Jesus from her own wealth, that she walked with Jesus for those several years, just like Joanna, the, the wife of the steward of Herod. And Joanna also was involved in supporting Jesus. Let me tell you something, ladies. Don't ever let the church denigrate your position in the eyes of God. You understand that? Never, ever, ever be denigrated in the eyes of God. All right? I don't care. I do not care what the typical legalism rules of churches say about women. As far as I see here, the first person who saw Jesus Christ was a woman. The people that walked with him for three years and supported him were women. Make no mistake about it, all right? God demands equality, all right? That's what Christianity did. That's what separates Christianity from the rest of the religions in the world. 
because women were viewed as second-class citizens. Second-class citizens. You couldn't testify in court if you were a woman. And yet look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who is giving the first testimony? Women. Women. If you were going to write a story in which you wanted to have credibility, you would never write a story in which women were the first, the first witnesses. You just wouldn't do that. But God didn't care. God didn't care. And so this, to me, is so incredibly powerful. And you see this here. Um, and so the typical mode of burial in Palestine was that bodies would be wrapped in linen bands uh, that enclosed spices and placed face up in tombs generally cut from the rock. Uh, and the upper part of the head was covered by a cloth that would have been twirled about it like a turban. That's typically how they would have been buried. Uh, and so uh, if we had been present at the tomb at the very moment of the resurrection, we would have noticed either the body of Jesus would have seemed to disappear or else it was changed into a resurrection body and passed through the grave clothes and out of the sealed tomb just as it was later to pass through closed doors. It just came through the cloth. And the cloth became the evidence, the very evidence, as it was transmuted into something totally different. What an incredible story. Uh, and so the linen cloths would have subsided uh, once Jesus uh, was resurrected, but they still would retain some of the, the shape. And in fact, the spices that were buried with Jesus would in some ways keep the cloth in place. And a concave shape would have still stayed there uh, with the shape of the head of our Lord and Savior. This is what attracted John's attention. Uh, and, and you see here in verse 5, John emphasizes the word lying there about the grave clothes. They were undisturbed. It was as if they were placed carefully in order. How do you like that? This was no theft of a body. This was God resurrecting his only son, resurrecting God himself on that, on that very... Uh, Sunday. Uh, and so no one had moved or disturbed the grave clothes. They were lying exactly where Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had placed them. Uh, and so how foolish, folks, how foolish in light of such evidence are the non-Christian cynical explanations of Easter morning. And this is what I want to give to you today. I want to give you an apologetic that you can be able to talk about this uh, with your family. How ridiculous are the statements that we hear from non-Christians uh, who taught, have, some have taught that the body of Jesus was stolen. Come on, the body of Jesus was stolen. These disciples who fled for their lives, who were fearful, nobody saw each other. The, the, the tomb was guarded. It was sealed by, by uh, Pilate. It was sealed. And, and Roman guards were put, in, put all over that tomb. And yet, on the morning that they come there, the guards are gone. They've split, the, the rock is moved, and the body of Jesus has disappeared. Those disciples never, never did that. The disciples didn't do that. They could barely get together themselves. And that's what the grave clothes testified to. Uh, and, and so they would never have removed the body. Uh, and so this becomes important for you to understand that. God has provided uh, perfectly adequate evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If men fail to believe it, it's because they will not believe, not because the evidence is lacking. I want you to understand that. The, the tomb indicates that the body of Jesus was glorified. Uh, he, had a he was created with a natural body, but on that morning, 
he received a spiritual body, a glorified body, uh, and that transformation took place. He becomes the first fruit for eternity. And we will follow him in every way. And so that, as I drill down in this for you, I want you to understand this, that the tomb testifies. The empty tomb testifies about Jesus. Look, he died on a Roman cross on Friday and was later buried in a tomb and that was empty on Sunday morning. There are countless individuals who will see Jesus walking around for the next 40 days. Paul tells us that over 500 people will see Jesus walking around. All right? And so I want you to understand something. Here is the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These men and women saw Jesus. They touched him. They saw his body. And they were so moved by what they saw that they would all give up their lives for, on the cross in many instances because of what they had seen. Now, nobody dies over a, a fable. Nobody dies over fakery. But if you saw God himself risen from the dead, if you saw that and you were, you were a witness to that, then you would die for that also. You would recognize this. Uh, and they would be willing to be stoned to death or in some cases crucified even upside down. Uh, and so don't let, a, don't let a world, don't let a world that's devoid of, of the Holy Spirit speak like that. Now the disciples stole the body of Jesus. How ridiculous is that? All right, how ridiculous is that? They couldn't even get together themselves. They were so fearful. And they were going to go against a Roman uh, battalion that was there guarding the, the tomb. They were going to do that? It's impossible. Uh, it would never happen. How did they make the body of Jesus, the dead body of Jesus, appear to Paul on the road to Damascus? How about that? Jesus would appear on the road to Damascus to Paul, and it would be so vibrant and so alive that Paul himself, who was one of the chief Pharisees, one of the chief persecutors of the church, would be struck down on the road to Damascus and his life would be changed forever to such an extent that he would become the number one evangelist in the history of the world, writing two-thirds of the New Testament. Ladies and gentlemen, I ask you, really, really, I ask you, do you think this is a fake? Do you think this is a fable? It's impossible. People don't act like this. Uh, without seeing the truth of the risen Christ. Uh, and so why would he turn away from a lucrative career as a Pharisee, a lucrative career where he had everything for him, and instead turn on a dime, turn on a dime, and go out then and put himself with the very Christians that he persecuted? The disciples were willing to die for the empty tomb. There's no question about it. Even though they had been fearful and fled in terror, they would wind up giving the rest of their lives, devoting their rest of their lives to, to the life of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christ. Now, some people will say, and I've heard this one, that the Romans stole the body. I love that one. All right, That the Roman authorities themselves removed the body from the tomb. Uh, but where are you getting this from? Where are you getting this that the Romans would remove the body? It's absolutely absurd. The last thing in the world that they wanted was to give life to the Christian movement. You understand? They didn't want to do that. Then some people have argued, well, the, 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 they went to the wrong tomb. You like that one? Yeah. It was very dark in the morning. It was dark. It wasn't good lighting. And so they went to the wrong tomb. Of course it was empty. They went to the wrong tomb. 
And here's the story, folks. People do not want to believe in an empty tomb. You understand? They don't want to believe in an empty tomb. Uh, because when you believe in an empty tomb, you recognize that your God is alive, that he has raised his son uh, from, from death, that that's, and therefore you are called accountable for your own life. Uh, and so it becomes important for us to understand this. Everything about the empty tomb uh, is absolutely trustworthy. Everything is absolutely trustworthy. How secure was this tomb? Well, according to archaeologists, tombs of that period would have had a low entrance whereby a large disc-shaped stone would have been rolled down over the, over the covering. Uh, and it would take several men to roll the stone in place. Uh, and you would need several men again to reopen the tomb in the same way. And so here's the thing that you have to think about it. The initial Christian proclamation, it was, Jesus is risen. That's what was said. Jesus is risen. The Jews responded, the disciples stole his body. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, to this, the Christians said, but the guards at the tomb would have presented such a theft. The Jews responded, oh, but the guards at the tomb fell asleep. To that, the Christians replied, no, the Jews bribed the guards to say they fell asleep. This dialogue would have been completely different. Listen to this. Completely different if there were no guards. The Jews would have replied to the initial claims of the resurrection. Then what guards? There were no guards. History tells us that this is not what the Jews said. This suggests that the guards were really were historical. You understand that? That they were there, that the early statements of the Jews confirm that, and that the Jews knew it, which is why they had to invent this absurd story about the guards having fallen asleep. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I ask you. <laughs> I ask you. Seriously. I mean, that is why they had to invent this ridiculous story about the guards having fallen asleep. Now, you know that if you were a Roman guard and then you fell asleep, you were subject to being executed. It's very simple. You would have been executed. And so you know that this is not true. It is absolutely not true. And so it's important to understand this. Um, and, and then you talk about the women and, and the women being, coming to the tomb. Why would they come there if there was a, a rock in front of it? I presume that the, that they, the ladies thought <clears throat> that the men would come out and they would roll the tomb, the rock away, and they'd be able to anoint the body. Uh, and that's why there were a number of women there. Well, in fact, the rock was missing and so was the body. Uh, and so here in, in Matthew, the, the two Marys rush from the tomb in great fear and joy, run to tell the disciples and meet Jesus on the way. You see, each story has a slightly different uh, narrative, slightly different. In Mark, in the book of Mark, they run out of the tomb in fear and say nothing to anyone. In Luke, the women report the story to the disciples who do not believe them. And there is no suggestion that they met Jesus. All of these inconsistencies. All of these inconsistencies are in the secondary details. Do you understand? These are in secondary details. They are not in the principal aspect of the story. The core of the story is always the same. That a group of women followers of Jesus, early on Sunday morning following his crucifixion, find that the tomb is empty. They see a vision of angels saying that Jesus is risen, Careful historians recognize 
that as long as the core of the story remains the same, then the evidence of that piles up. You see, that's exactly how, how courts look at uh, evidence. Not that people rehearsed it and every line is the same. That's not the way things happen in life. Uh, and, and so there's another point that people will bring up to you that I want you to be prepared. Uh, and that's this. Uh, in Matthew 12, verse 40, Jesus said this. For as Jonah was there three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's what Jesus said. Now, uh, critics will come back and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, that's not true. Jesus was, was uh, crucified on Friday. He was put in the ground on Friday, and so he was there Friday night. He was there Saturday, and Sunday he was risen. By my reckoning, that's maybe a day and a half, maybe maybe two days. That is not three days. How does that, how does that work? Well, you have to go back and look at how Jews calculated time. And for a Jew during the first century, they recorded days as any part of a day. So here's the deal. All right, Friday night, day one. All day Saturday, day two. Sunday morning, day three. Any part of the day would be calculated as a full day. And so Jesus was there just as he said, just as he said, three days in the belly of, of the earth. And then I talked to you about the testimony of women. So much, so much of, of this early story uh, comes to us by way of women. Can, can these witnesses, can these female witnesses be trusted? Uh, uh, and, and you understand that they were on the very lowest rung of the social ladder. Uh, they wouldn't be allowed to testify in a court of law. Uh, and so it is remarkable that Christianity uses as its first primary witnesses women. If you were concocting a religion, you would never have done this. You understand you would never have done this because you knew that their testimony would not have veracity. But instead, God elevated women. He didn't care about the rules of the church and what culture said, what the cultural tendencies were. He understood that their testimony would be valid and that they would speak to us across centuries and speak to us today. Ladies, I'm telling you right now, God has a place for you in the church, a big place, as you have love and concern. Uh, as I look in this class, we wouldn't be anywhere, the kind of class we, we are, without the love of women and the affirmation of women. You are so special in the eyes of God, and I want you to know that. And God has an extraordinary place for you. And so this legendary account uh, would... would would have been written instead, portrayed by male disciples uh, who discovered the tomb. But to me, the power of the story comes about because it was women, because it was women, because it was second-class citizens, because that's how God wrote the story, just as Jesus was considered second-class. Uh, and so uh, we, we understand that. And so early Christians, early Christians spoke about the empty tomb. Uh, and it is found, if you look, Turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 24. We'll start with, with 22. And this is on the day of Pentecost. This is Peter standing outside the upper room. Uh, and you know that there are tens of thousands of Jews from all over the known world there at Pentecost. And now the, the Holy Spirit has descended in the upper room and they hear the Holy Spirit uh, like uh, tongues of fire. Uh, on the early church. And so listen what he says. And now the gospel is being preached 
being preached through the Holy Spirit through these people. The gift of languages is being dispensed to the church and it's coming from the upper room. And the gospel is being preached. And here's what Peter says. Men of Israel, verse 22, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You understand this? This is now somewhere around 90 days, uh, 120 days from when Jesus would have been crucified. Uh, and Jesus told him to tarry in the upper room. And right then you're seeing the, the uh, evidence of the resurrection being repeated clearly in front of hundreds and hundreds of witnesses. Uh, and, and then he speaks a passage from the Old Testament, and he says there in verse 25, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Folks, there it is. There's the testimony of the Bible. God would not let his holy son be decayed in the earth. He would be resurrected. He would be turned from a body that was flesh and blood to a body that would be glorified. And so you understand this, how important it is to see this in the very earliest church being preached this way. It's so powerful to me. Um, and and uh, uh, look also at Acts chapter 13. And so this is all within a very short period of time, a very short period of time of, of the death of Jesus. Acts 13, verse 29. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. This is now uh, the disciples, Paul and Barnabas, speaking about Jesus. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised in David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. And so, folks, there I give you that. This is now within 90, 100 days or so uh, of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that it was clear that Jesus had been resurrected, that the disciples had seen it, that many witnesses had seen it, and it's, it became such powerful testimony. Uh, and to look also to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is now Paul speaking about the 500 eyewitnesses. All right? For what I received, verse 3, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he, was, uh, that he was glorified, that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers 
at the same time, most of whom are still living. How do you laugh? Like that. In other words, these were living eyewitnesses at the time that he's speaking here. They're still alive, many of these people. And so you could go and ask them. You could question them. Is it true? Is that what you saw? Uh, and he said, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. What a testimony. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the story of the empty tomb. It is the most profound story that you could ever have. It is the reason why we come to church every week. It is why we worship God, because that empty tomb means that you will never die, that God will raise you from the dead, that you will be with Jesus and sit with Jesus and your family in heaven. God has promised you this. He has died on the cross for you on this reason. He is resurrected from the grave. And this is the story that each and every one of us needs to tell to a lost world. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message. I thank you for the empty tomb, Father. I thank you for all that you've done. Lord, give us the courage to leave here and speak to a world that's lost. Help us, Father, to reach out to people that haven't heard this story, to let them understand how important it is to understand what was done that Sunday morning, Lord, and how your body was changed forever, and how our lives have been changed forever. Be with our people. Protect them this week as this story continues to resonate with them, and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.